You're listening to Campus Review Radio. Hi, I'm Lauren Smith, Education Editor at APN Educational Media. Today I spoke to Peter Hoy. He's the Chair of the Group of Eight Universities and the Vice-Chancellor of the University of Queensland. We spoke about a new funding deal that will see $200 million invested in universities researching disruptive ideas. Why do you think the IP group chose to invest in the top Australian universities, specifically following investments in those in the UK and in the US? So uh, clearly um, they are investing on behalf of shareholders and their success uh, is what will secure their future. And they're very clear based on their own insights and, of course, uh, based on history, that um, you can only expect great success if you invest in the best possible research capability. And um, Australian uh, universities have done very well internationally, but in particular, uh, the um, uh, group of eight universities where we have six uh, universities uh, ranked in the top 100 for research uh, means that there will always be a lot of great stuff to find and take further at the G of eight. And I think that's why they have chosen Australia and uh, why they've chosen the G of eight because it's not well known to many people that uh, there are only two countries in the world uh, which have more uh, universities in the top 100 than Australia, and that's the UK and the US. So uh, the IP group is already investing in the best universities in the UK and the US, like Princeton in the US and Oxford uh, uh, in the in the UK. So if they uh, followed uh, their logic, then they had to look uh, to Australia, and that's where they looked at, at us. But it's not only because we have uh, great research capability, it's also because we've had some unbelievable successes uh, in Australian universities uh, with the Gardasil vaccine, uh, with uh, Cochlear and uh, ResMed and Fibrotech, uh, and Syro has had Wi-Fi, uh, all transformative technologies. So that's why they came here. And how far will the $200 million go, given that the Group of Eight spends $6 billion yeah. on research annually? I think, I think uh, this is a very significant investment because um, the difference between this fund and many other funds is that it's early stage. Uh, it's what we normally call the valley of death, where many people are hesitant to invest in an early stage because it's not really sure whether it will really translate into a great discovery, which is translatable to the market. But these guys also know that the earlier you invest in a success, the greater your return is. So the investments that they have to make in individual projects in early stages are not necessarily huge. It's more important that they are not risk averse and want to take a risk 
and that they're patient. And this particular fund has positioned itself to invest early and be patient. So they can wait, say, for a decade before they expect a real financial return uh, on their investment, even though, of course, everybody wants things as early as possible. And what's the current funding situation in early stage research? I mean, there there are various uh, pots of money uh, you can go to, but they're not as plentiful as they should be. And uh, that has been so for a long time. So back in about 2002, University of Melbourne and uh, University of Queensland actually put $10 million aside each to start something called Uniseed. And, and uh, shortly after, it was joined by UNSW. And that $30 million that was raised there was actually spent to uh, really address a market failure. So there isn't a lot of early states uh, capital available. Uh, although there are, of course, some people who, who are adventurous and who want to do the right thing by innovation. But uh, this $200 million with an expe- expected lifetime in the first instance of 10 years is really significant. And I think it will make a real difference. Can you explain how the partnership between researchers and the creation or development of disruptive companies can work? And how has this worked in practice in the past? Um, so um, clearly, um, um, the first thing that has to happen is that there has to be a piece of top quality research performed, which has been protected so somebody can take advantage of it commercially. The second thing is that uh, people like the IP group will say, we're interested in what is in your organization. Can we have a look uh, after we've signed a non-disclosure agreement at what you got? And then uh, a particular group might say, we're really interested in uh, researcher A, Q, and X's proposal. And we would like to see whether we could invest in that and with a business plan to take it to market. Often, you will find that the initial investor is not necessarily the one who will put in the most money into a project. For example, if you want to take a drug to market, it can often cost more than a billion dollars. So there you will then see that after a certain uh, initial raising of funds, for instance, through the IP group, there will be other series B, C, and D ratings of funds uh, that then will uh, give the total package and hopefully uh, a product uh, which will give a great return, not only to the investors, but also to the university in which the discovery has been made. And of course, also to the wonderful researchers who've actually made the discovery and decided that they want to spend the time taking this discovery to market rather than moving on to another thing. There's obviously an academic and a financial benefit of this to universities, but how will it trickle down to the public and the Australian economy? So uh, 
if you assume that taxation systems work well, then the way it trickles down into the economy is, first, if you have a successful company, it will employ a number of people. So the number one benefit to the economy is employment of people. Those people will, through their taxation, contribute to the uh, country's finances. Second, uh, there will be uh, a flow of money back to the institution which invested in the research in the first place, and that will be reinvested into the organization's academic purpose, whether it be teaching and research. And again, the public benefits from that. And thirdly, uh, if a particular researcher has been very successful, there will always be money going to them as well. And some of these people then turn out to be great philanthropic donors. So for example, at, at UQ, uh, we've had great success uh, through the uh, invention of the cervical cancer vaccine, which has sold uh, more than 180 million doses worldwide. And the university has benefited, uh, uh, the, uh, the Australian agents have benefited, and of course the researchers have as well. And those very same researchers have then been philanthropic and they, they, um, they uh, give philanthropic funds to the state opera or the state symphony orchestra. So it works at many, many different levels how that benefit trickles down. But the other thing it does, and I'm very sure that the successes that G of eight universities have had with global products such as Gardasil, uh, means that others take an interest and invest in Australian research. And that, of course, benefits Australian researchers as well. This money was earmarked for innovative ideas that disrupt the status quo. How are Group of Eight universities themselves facing the threat of disruption? Well, uh, if you could give me that answer, uh, I would be happy. Uh, we are thinking a lot about uh, disruption, and uh, it would be fair to say that we don't exactly know what the future looks like uh, for universities. Uh, if you were to ask me, um, I would say that the first thing that will be seriously disrupted is the mode of knowledge transmission. I do believe that the traditional lecture format is on its last legs. So that's the reason why, for example, UQ uh, uh, invested very early in, in the MOOCs platform through edX. Others have done it through Coursera, such as Melbourne University, because we believe that in some form or shape, the online offerings will be disruptive to how we do things. So we're preparing to be able to jump as soon as it becomes clear to us where one should jump to. So, um, uh, But on the other hand, I think one of the things that will be disrupted the last will actually be the ability to do groundbreaking research uh, on some of the biggest uh, questions that we have. And that I think will be very uh, difficult to disrupt. 
and certainly some of the last to be disrupted. So in a sense, we're also preparing for disruption by becoming even better and more prominent in the fields that are hard to disrupt. And I would say that top research is hard to, to disrupt. Um, but uh, that, that will be, everybody will be thinking about how can we use artificial intelligence to give better advice to students, et cetera, et cetera. So it's across a whole range of things that people are playing. Thank you so much for speaking to me. Thanks for the opportunity.